Good morning. Welcome to Redemption Parker Online. So glad you're here with us this morning. If you have your Bible, you can begin to work your way to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. If you're just joining us, we're in this series together as a church called The King and the Kingdom. That the Gospel of Matthew is pointing us to the King. His name is Jesus and inviting us into His kingdom. And he has all power and authority, dominion and control. And that is a beautiful thing. I want to start with a question as you're working your way there. And that is this, what keeps you up at night? Do you ever struggle with uh, restlessness? Do you ever lose sleep because of something going on in your life? I I know I do. Seems the older I get, the less and less sleep I get and the the lighter sleeper I become. Now, I know some of that's physiological. Scientists say that the older you get, you need less sleep. But I also know there's other factors like my diet and exercise. But beyond that, there's also just this growing sense of more responsibility, more uh, stress, more worry, more anxiety. And Jesus has already uh, kind of addressed that. It's, it's not that he doesn't care about that. He, he, in fact, wants us to bring that to him. But, but even still, I wrestle with this. Even this week, I lost some sleep because I was struggling, worried, anxious. And even in the night, I was trying to remind myself of the truth. God, you're on the throne. You're in control. I was reminding myself of First uh, Peter chapter 1, where Peter tells us to place all of our hope on him. And so I was trying to do that. And eventually I fell asleep. But man, it's difficult. And the older I get, it just seems like that there's more and more. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe what keeps you up at night is, is financial stress. Maybe, maybe it's a relational uh, stress. Maybe it's concern for your children or uh, your parents or your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your spouse. Maybe it's uh, work stress. Maybe it's school. You, you've got a test coming up. Uh, just these things start to pile up and, and, and you lose sleep over it. I mean, I lose sleep whenever I have to get up. I, I know I have to get up at a certain time and pretty early. Like my mind is just like, is it time to get up? It is not, like, it's just, we do. And of course, in this current age of COVID-19, it's just added uh, stress. And that's st- spurred on other stresses and other uh, concerns, relationally, financially, health, all those things. And so maybe you've lost some sleep over that. There, there are a lot of things that can keep us up at night. Let me just add one more for you, just as a bonus today. I don't know if you uh, were watching the news this week, but, but have you heard of a, the Vesper? I think it's Vesper Mandalorian. Have you, have you heard of that? It's probably not the term that you heard it as. You probably heard it as the murder hornets. <laughs> yeah, so let me just add that to your table, to, to your plate this, this, this morning. Uh, murder hornets. For the first time, these murder hornets, the hornets they're these two-inch, the world's largest hornets, they're Asian hornets, have been discovered in December of 2019 to be in America, to be in North America, to be in Washington State. I mean, these things are massive. They're, they're vicious. They're, their venom is described, if you get stung by one of these, like being uh, stung by hot metal. Every year, 50 people in Japan die from their stings. I mean, so, so they're dangerous, right? But scientists aren't, aren't really concerned so much with their threat to humans, although that, that's a concern to me. Uh, their, their main concern is their threat to honeybees and, and how, how these murder hornets just 
seek to go after and destroy honeybees and, and take them out. So when a murder hornet finds a honeybee hive, it goes into what scientists call slaughter mode. Yeah, no joke, slaughter mode. And it takes its mandibles at the front and uses them like giant scissors. And one by one, I watched this video, it's crazy, uh, just decapitates bee after bee after bee after bee. It just piles up the bodies. And then in just a couple hours, it can take out the whole hive. Yeah, so sleep well tonight. (laughs) Now, you know, Jesus, we, we saw at the end of last week and when Ryan preached, Jesus was sleeping. Jesus was sleeping in the middle of a storm. His disciples, like you and me, were, were freaking out. And by all accounts, it seemed like they have good reason to be freaking out. It looks like they're about to drown, uh, but, but Jesus knows something that they don't know. Jesus knows that all of the, the brokenness of this world... All of the, the sin and the suffering and, and the stings and, and, and the financial insecurity, all of those things are merely the fruit of a deeper root. And that Jesus has come, sent by this Father to deal with the root. So in the middle of a storm, he can sleep because he knows who he is and he knows what he's going to do. So they wake him up and he, he calms the storm and, and uh, now, now they're really afraid, right? Because in, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 8 and 9, we've said over the last few weeks, the purpose of Matthew 8 and 9 is to put on display the authority of Jesus. And he's got all authority and all power and, and it's be- beginning to be revealed more and more. See, uh, it, We've said that this authority is either going to draw us to Jesus or it's going to push us away from Jesus. But when you come face to face with the authority, the authority and the power of Jesus, the only option is that that is not an option is indifference. You either go to him in glad submission or you run from him. And what we've seen so far at the beginning as Jesus is healing the sick and that's drawing in the crowds. As he's feeding the thousands elsewhere, that's drawing in the crowds. They, they love this, this guy that has authority over sickness and can make food and give them living water. They, they like that. So that begins to draw the crowds. But last week we saw that it began to also push the crowds away because this one who has all authority, power, and dominion turns to individuals like you and me and it says, follow me. He says, leave everything, or at least be willing to leave everything to follow me. And people get kind of a little offended by that. Like you and me, they kind of like having at least a a, a pretense of control over their lives. So they're like, no, no, I think I'll just do life my own way, Jesus. No, thank you, King Jesus. I'll, I'll be king for myself, but... It's Jesus' mercy and grace to invite us to follow him. As, as Ryan did such a great job last week, it's because he cares for you, because he loves you. So his authority and power has been on display. And after the, the storm, it goes even up higher because the disciples, when, when he calms the storm, now they're, they're really terrified because they know their Bibles. They know that, uh, that only God is the one that controls the wind and the waves. And, and Jesus says a word and the wind and the waves are controlled. So they're like, what is this? Who is this? And so they're beginning to uh, wake up to just a deeper reality of who Jesus is. 
The next scene we see at the end of Matthew chapter 8, Jesus goes to this town and there's these two demon-possessed men and, and he commands the demonic forces in them to leave and, and he sends them into a, a herd of pigs and they run down the side of a hill and they drown themselves. The town hears about this and they come out and they're terrified of Jesus' power and authority and they beg him, please, just go away. Don't, go away. We, we can't have you in our lives. And that's a tragedy. But today, Jesus is going to leave no pretense about who he is and what power and what authority he has brought to planet Earth. And it's either going to draw us in worship to him or it's going to push us away. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 9, I'll read our passage and then pray for us and we'll unpack it. Matthew chapter 9. Then getting into the a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. What you just heard never will. Let's pray. Father, we do ask by, in the name of your Son and in the power of your Spirit, Holy Spirit, make this word life to us. I pray, Lord, that you would bring a word of encouragement to those that need encouraging, a word of hope to those that need hope, a word of life to those that are spiritually dead, and a word of exhortation to follow you for all of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I love this Scene. I love this passage, but one of the dangers of this passage and, and really the gospels that they can become so familiar that we can kind of lose sight of what the ground shaking kind of earth eternity shaking uh, things that are happening. And we can just kind of be like, oh, that's when he healed the paralytic. Of course he did. No, what Jesus does here changes everything. And, and what Jesus does here actually not only lays the foundation for, for just his identity and, and who we are uh, in him and who we are to worship him, but also it lays the foundation in this passage for his death on the cross. See, those that had power and authority will take offense at these very words and they will begin to plot the murder of Jesus because of this. So I want to just take a moment to enter into the story. This is an amazing story. Uh, Matthew kind of just summarizes the story, whereas Mark in his gospel, he kind of unpacks it a little bit more. And so let me just go there for a moment and, and look at that. And I want you to just picture the scene. Imagine uh, what this was like. Mark chapter two, verse one, it says, and when he returned to Capernaum, that's his hometown after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. 
So, so crowds are gathering and they're filling the house and they're, they're packed shoulder to shoulder. There's no social distancing. Yeah, the, the temperature in the room is probably rising with just the body heat in the room. And nevertheless, Jesus is preaching the word. He's telling them about the kingdom of God. He's pointing them to hope and to life. And he is preaching. But the crowds, Mark tells us, are, are pouring out of the house. That's how packed it is. Says uh, so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now, just pause right there for a moment and picture that. I love these four men. I love these four friends. I'm going to conclude today by just talking about how may God make us like these four guys. But let me just picture the scene for you a little bit. So Jesus has now got a reputation. He is uh, healing the sick. He's bringing the dead to life. He's casting out demons. He's feeding the thousands. We know all that. And that's gathering a, a large crowd. And, and so the, the rumor has it that, that Jesus is back. He's in Capernaum. And the crowds are beginning to make their way to see, to just kind of see what is he going to do now? And then there's these four guys. And they have a, this friend. He's paralyzed. And, and they love this guy. I mean, just what a beautiful picture of friendship. And so they get an idea. They say, we, 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 can, we can do something for you, buddy. We'll take you to Jesus. He's like, well, how are you going to do that? Well, we're going to put you on this mat, and each one of us will get, we'll grab one of the corners, and, and we'll begin to take you to Jesus. And, and we've heard rumors that Jesus can solve your problem. He, he can make you walk again. And maybe, maybe the paralyzed guy, maybe he's been there for a while. We don't know. But maybe he just allows himself to hope just a little bit. He's like, okay, okay, you can take me. So they all each grab a corner and they begin to go. But as they're going, that, that kind of slows them down, right? And so the crowds are going past them and, and they're like, okay, I hope, hope we can get to Jesus. What are we going to say to Jesus? What are we going to do? And, and as they go in, they see the crowds down this street and they, they, they head down that street. And then finally, they, they see crowds pouring, like overflowing a house and, and trying to lean and, and press in and, and get a glimpse of Jesus, and now I imagine their hearts drop just a little bit. Like, how in the world are we going to get our, our friend to Jesus? And so they, maybe they try and they're like, excuse me, excuse, excuse me. And they're like, no, just get back. We're, we're trying to get to Jesus. No, well, we got our friend and we heard that he can, he can heal him. So can you just make way? And the crowd's like, no, get back. We all want to see Jesus. And so... Maybe the paralyzed guy is a little bit disappointed. Maybe thought, I, I thought so. It was too good to be true, whatever. But I, I love these guys. They, they, they don't stop there. One of them has an idea. Like he's looking around. How, how are we going to get him to Jesus? And, and he looks up and he's like, the roof. And the other guys are like, what? Just, just follow me. Let, let's carry him up to the roof. They're like, what, what are we going to do on the roof? Uh, just follow me. And, and so they all grab the corner and they, they take him and they, they get to the wall and they're, they're lifting up and, and, and they ask the crowd, help us, help us push him up. And they, they pull him up on the roof and, and now they're on the roof and uh, maybe out, out the windows, they can kind of hear the murmuring. Maybe they can hear Jesus preaching a little bit and, and they're looking around, what are we going to do? And, and then the guy gets there, he says, I'll tell you what we're going to do. What? What are we going to do? How are we going to get, like, we can't, oh, we're going to wreck the roof. Like, What? Oh, we're going to wreck the roof. Wait, wait, wait. shut up. We're, we're going we're gonna to dig a hole in this man's roof, and then what? Oh, we're, we're, then we're going to lower, lower him down. 
I bet Jesus is, is preaching right about over there. And so if we, if we start digging right here, when, when the hole's big enough, Jesus will have to see him and, and he'll do it. I mean, just look at the, that. That is faith. That is confidence that Jesus is who he says he is and can do all that he promises he will do. And so they begin to dig. And I imagine Jesus is preaching and he, and he begins to hear some thuds. <laughs> That's a little bit distracting, but nonetheless, Jesus is Jesus. And so at this point, I think he's, he's still preaching, but he's got, got a smile on his face because he knows what's going to happen. And so he's talking about the kingdom, talking about the kingdom. But, but then uh, the, the plaster begins to fall on people's head. Man, that's distracting. And they're like, what is going on up there? And they're not really listening to Jesus anymore, but that's okay. Jesus knows what he's going to do. And, and then sunlight begins to burst into the room and, and plaster's falling over. I mean, that's a distraction, right? Like I've had crying babies. Uh, a lot of you get up and go to the bathroom. You're probably doing it right now. Uh, I can't see you, but uh, you know, that's a distraction. Nothing like what Jesus is facing in this moment. And the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I imagine at this point, the owner of the house is freaking out, right? He's got a front row seat because it's his house. Uh, now he's like, what are they doing to my roof? And he's trying to get past the crowds. He can't get out of the crowds. And the hole gets bigger and bigger. And at a certain point, it gets big enough so that these four dudes look in with their grinning faces. And they look down and they're looking for the guy teaching. And they're like, yeah, he's right there. And I imagine they just kind of make some eye contact. Jesus and these four guys. And Jesus smiles and knows what's about to happen. And these guys know what's about to happen. So they dig deeper. They dig deeper. Deeper. They dig deeper. They make the hole bigger and bigger. And uh, I don't know if Jesus stops and just waits at this moment, but eventually it gets big enough that, that you can fit a grown man lying on a mat down through the hole. And they begin to do that. And, and the guy on the, the mat is like, don't drop me. Don't drop me. We're not going to drop you. This is going to be awesome. Just come on and trust us. And he's like, okay, I trust you. And he's looking down as they're going down. And he's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. Uh, but he eventually comes down. Now the crowd is silent. And maybe just is just waiting. And in that moment, he looks up after seeing his friend's face. He looks up and, and Jesus is standing over him. And there is a smile on his face. And, and notice what happens in that moment. Oh, we read it. You know. But it's not what anyone expected. We, we know Jesus has power and authority over sickness. And so what they're hoping for, what they're expecting, is far too little. I think what keeps us up at night so often is we're hoping and expecting far too little from God. Now, Jesus isn't going to deal with the fruit. It says when he saw their faith, not, not just the paralyzed guy's faith, but their faith. Like you want to unlock the heart of God. You want to move God in your life. You want to uh, unleash God's power in your life. It comes by grace through faith. It says when he saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. What? <laughs> Come again? You, you, your sins are forgiven. But, but now how, how do you think that would have landed? Like it, the thing that should keep us up at night, the only thing, well, there's actually two things, but the first thing that should keep us up at night is our sin before a holy God. This is the root of all the fruit of the brokenness of this world. 
That we have sinned and rebelled and sin has entered in and has caused chaos and sickness and suffering and death and disease and cancer and, and murder hornets or whatever into this world. And Jesus goes right past all those things. And he says to this guy, your sins are forgiven. He goes right to the root. See, his physical need was evident. Everyone knew what his physical need was. But it was his spiritual need and my spiritual need, your spiritual need that is ultimate. Physical need was evident. Spiritual need was ultimate. So Jesus skips past the one and goes right to the heart. He deals with the ultimate need and he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know how they took that. I don't know if that was good news to them. I think they're probably just confused at this moment. But verse three, and behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. That's blasphemy. In Mark's gospel, it says, no one can forgive God. No one can forgive God. No one can forgive sin except God alone. To which Jesus is thinking or saying, yeah, you're right. That's what I'm saying. Your sins are forgiven. Verse Four, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, see, even his power and authority includes the, the knowledge. He, he knows their faith. He knows their thoughts. He knows their grumbling. He knows their actions. He says, knowing their thoughts, said, what do you think? Why do you think this evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or say rise and walk? So, so the, it's a rhetorical question. Obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because that, that's not non-material. You can't see that. But then he says, verse six, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He said to him, the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So so this guy who came in paralyzed, he uh, gets up and he takes his bed. And and now the crowds part for him. They they let him go. And and he comes out and his friends climb off down the the roof. And and they're celebrating. They're high-fiving and they're chest bumping. But I don't know what you did back then, first century. Either way, it's a party. It's a celebration. They begin to head home. And the whole way, he's like dancing. He's like, check out my legs, man. Who wants to race? You want to race? I'll, I'll race you. I like whatever you do in that moment, I imagine you'd race, whatever. Uh, but I don't know even where that came from. But it, you know what I'm saying? Like he can walk. He can use his legs. He's rejoicing. But I imagine after the initial euphoria of that passes and they begin to walk, someone says, that was weird what he said to you at first. Then they begin to just ponder. Yeah, your sins are forgiven. And I think at that moment, just hope and joy and life just dawned in their souls. He forgave your sins. He is that authoritative. He is God. Do you notice how Jesus referred to himself? It's important. And it'll become increasingly important throughout Matthew's gospel in the Bible, Jesus is most referred to by others as the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And that's a good title. And that's, that's accurate. But that's not how Jesus refers to himself. By far, the number one uh, designator that Jesus gives to himself is found in verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. The Son of Man. That 
That comes from the book of Daniel. See, Daniel and his friends and his countrymen were in captivity in Babylon. And God begins to send Daniel some visions of the future hope of, of a new king that is to come. The son of man means just a, a human, but, but this human is more than human. He's truly human, but we'll see from Daniel's vision that he is also God. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. So this man comes to God, the ancient of days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. He is truly man and truly God. He has all power and authority, and he has authority on earth to forgive sin. He has come to deal with the root of the problem. He has come by his blood to destroy sin, death, and the grave, and he knows he's going to do it. And so he can say, son, your sins are forgiven. This is the gospel. This is the root. This is Jesus on full display in his divinity and his humanity. And this angers the scribes and religious leaders, and they will begin to plot his murder. But even that, God is in control of and will use. See, the gospel is not come to Jesus and he will fix your life. That is a false gospel. That is a gospel from the pit of hell. The gospel is not health, wealth, safety, security, and comfort. The gospel is that Jesus has come down from heaven and he has reconciled and rescued us by his blood on the cross to make us one with him again. This is the gospel. So Jesus has authority. He has authority to know the thoughts of men. We see this. He has authority to see faith. He has authority to know everything that they say or do. And he has authority over sickness and suffering. We see that as well. And he has authority to forgive sin and reconcile men and women to God the Father. See, I was thinking about this in light of uh, Mother's Day. My mother died a few years ago from Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. It's a horrific disease. She battled it for three years. And during those three years, my family and I prayed consistently, repeatedly, two prayers. First, we said, Jesus, you have all authority. And if it's your will, you can heal her. And so we ask you, Jesus, to bring healing into her life. And the second one, we said, Jesus, you have all authority. We pray, Lord, that you would use even this to draw her in a deeper way to you, that you'd become even more of a treasure that you are in her life and through her life, many would see and savor you. Jesus in his authority did not see fit to answer that first prayer in the way that we were asking. Oh, he's answered it. He's answered it forever now. But Jesus in his authority He saw fit to answer that second prayer far, far beyond we could ever hope or imagine. In those years, as as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, outwardly her body was wasting away, but inwardly she was being renewed day by day. This is the gospel. Her biggest problem, the root of her problem, her rebellion before a holy God had been taken away. 
And this passage is an invitation to all of us to come and see and savor Jesus once again and say, you have all authority. You know everything I've ever thought, good or bad. You know everything I've ever done, good or bad. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But praise be to God. Romans 3.23 doesn't end there. With, with 24, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is the invitation on the table for you and to, for me to come to him by grace through faith and say, You are who you say you are. You have all authority. You can take away my biggest problem. And then finally, as we just conclude this, I, I want us to be like these friends. I'll just, I'll just say quickly, man, may we be a church like these friends. I said there's actually two things that should keep us up at night. The first is our own sin before a holy God. Jesus has come and dealt with that by grace through faith. You can sleep on that. But there's a second one. We live in a world full of image bearers made in his image. And they have the root problem still. And we have the cure, which is Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. And and may we be like these friends. May we have the kind of love and desperation and compassion of these friends to be that to our friends, to be that to our family, to be that to our city, to be that to our world. People that don't know Jesus. You might say, well, I just don't really hang out with those people. Well, you should. You need to repent and engage the lost world with the love of Jesus. This is why you still have breath in your lungs if you're a follower of Jesus. To make him known. Repent. Stop being selfish with the grace you've received and make it your aim in life to make him known. There are six to 7,000 people groups on planet earth representing 2 billion people that have no access to the gospel. They have been made in God's image. And they are desperately in need of his savior. They are in need of Jesus coming and dealing with the root of their problem. And you have the message. It should break us our hearts. It should cause us to stir at night. And we should pray desperately for these people. And we should go. We should go. We should stop being selfish with our lives and with our lives and with our money and with our prayers. We should leverage them for the sake of the king in his kingdom. So there's four characteristics I just want us to embrace as a church that we see in these friends. First of all, they have absolute confidence in who Jesus is. And church, we will not be a missional church. We will not make a, a, a dent in our neighborhoods and in our city if we don't have confidence in who Jesus is. So stir your confidence in Jesus in prayer and word and in fellowship with other believers. Stir that confidence. They had confidence. Secondly, they had compassion. I mean, to be a follower of Jesus is to to follow Jesus and be more like Jesus, to have compassion for the lost and the broken in this world. May we have compassion that they cared for their friend and it inconvenienced them, but it didn't matter because their compassion drove their love and their love drove their bringing him to Jesus. But they also had creativity. When they got to the crowds and they saw the barriers, they didn't turn around and go home and say, well, we would have, but it was just too hard to bring our friend to Jesus. No, no, no. They did not let the barriers of this life 
block them from bringing their friend to Jesus. So let's be the most creative people on the planet to figure out ways to bring people to Jesus. And then finally, they just had a contagious faith. I just imagine as, as maybe some of their times their faith wa- wandered a little bit, uh, they, they would just kind of soak in the faith of the others that they continued to carry their friend. And as they dug the hole and as they lowered him down, I imagine as he's being lowered down, maybe he's wondering, is this crazy? Is this crazy? Yeah, but he sees the faith of their friends and the confidence of their friends. And his faith is, is growing in that moment as he's being lowered down. Their faith is contagious. Church, what we need is a contagious faith. We need people to put faith, active trust on display in our life, in our church, in community, so that we are like this. Man, this is the kind of church that God is calling us to be. A confident church, a compassionate church, a courageous church, a creative church, and a contagious church. To that end, let me ask Jesus to make that true in us. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the fact that you have authority over all things. You know what we think, say, or do. You have authority over all sickness, sin, suffering, and death. But ultimately, Jesus, you have authority over sin. On the cross, you purchased our reconciliation. And so we thank you for that. And you've sent us your spirit to live life with confidence and courage and creativity and contagious faith. So Lord, do that in us. Do that in us even this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.